really researching um, like general market trends. And by the end of like four months, four months in, we'd made a ton of money, but also just accrued a ton of research. It was in September when I first told people, buy, it was $8 a share. Be the just like the most uh, polished person of yourself that you can. The most consistent thing I've seen across all my class um, at Brown is that a lot of them really talented or passionate about something that was uniquely not medical. All Things Con Amor is the pursuit of holistic health, wellness, happiness, love, the things that really set our soul on fire. Enjoy the ride. Words cannot describe how excited I am. So for all of my listeners, this is my very dear friend, Jonathan, like Jonathan with a Y. And so <laughs> that's, I remember that's how you introduced me to yourself. Yeah. So just to get started for everyone that's listening that doesn't already know how great you are, can you tell us like a bit about yourself and where you're at in life right now, what you're up to? Yeah, I'm a third year medical student at uh, Brown University and I, uh, I'm actually just at the tail end of studying for step one. Uh, I take the exam in about two weeks. And within those two weeks, I guess after that, I'll just be done and finally on clinicals, which I'm really looking forward to. And just like general stuff about me, I went to University of Maryland, just like Stephanie, of course. Um, and uh, my family's from Ethiopia. I was born here and uh, kind of lived in Ethiopia for a bit, then a little bit in Japan, and then finally settled here in America when I was like, seven years old wait why am i just now finding out you lived in japan when did you you never brought this up <laughs> yeah no um because uh my mom worked for the ethiopian embassy so came here and i was born and then they immediately went back to ethiopia and then um my mom got an assignment in tokyo japan and so we just lived there for a bit and uh my dad when he was there he like couldn't it's really hard to get um, a job that isn't manual labor in Japan if you don't have Japanese citizenship. And to get Japanese citizenship, you have to have like, it's like some crazy thing where one actual family member has to be ethnically Japanese or something along those lines. Um, I might be wrong. But so he left, went to America, uh, got a job there, got an apartment. And then once my mom's, uh, when her assignment was done, uh, we joined him in America. Okay. So how old were you when you guys switched over to America? I was like seven, six or seven. I honestly can't remember, but I was, um, I was around that age. I remember like being really young, but old enough to just remember certain things, like how, how many trees there are in America versus <laughs> in Tokyo, there's like no trees. It's legitimately a concrete jungle. Wow. I thought they called New York the concrete jungle, but yeah, well, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a jungle, but Tokyo is something else. No, I'm sure. So how do you think being a child of immigrants affected like your perception of the world? I know this is something we talked about for like two hours the first time we hung out. So can yeah. you share that with everyone? Yeah, I think, um, I think especially um, being the child of immigrants and having a lot of your family still back in your home country um, unwittingly puts a lot, a lot of pressure on you kind of but you know you also recognize that you're still privileged to even be here compared to everyone that couldn't come over so it's kind of like a manageable stress but I think it really kind of makes you think longer and more deeply about some of the 
actions you take, especially uh, with respect to school, because, you know, you don't, yeah, you're like your parents, your parents and your entire families, they're like their one shot, <laughs> or it matters for everyone, education matters for everyone, but you have way less wiggle room. And I think it just made me, at least personally, a lot more acutely aware of really taking advantage of every opportunity and kind of like not taking it lightly while, while still having the fun that you want and, you know, learning how to balance life. So like the best of both worlds. I get that. And do you think that contributed into you wanting to go into medicine and being a doctor or like, did you ever want to do something else? Yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a great question. So uh, in high school, honestly, up until high school, to be honest, I was like convinced I was going to be a soccer player, um, but that didn't work out too well. And um, as I was going through high school, sophomore, junior year, I realized I really enjoyed uh, government and English. Um, so I didn't even really know what I wanted to be, but I was certain that I was uh, going to do something related to reading or writing or history or something along those lines. But then I took uh, AP Bio my senior year, and it was honestly super hard, but I kind of weirdly uh, enjoyed it in like a weird masochist way almost. Um, it, was, uh, it was like one of the hardest things I ever did in high school, but I came out of it feeling just really accomplished almost. And... I kind of explored the idea of medicine then. And then um, I really didn't make an actual decision until like freshman year of fresh end of freshman year of college, um, mainly because it just felt too cliche. You know, for freshmen starting college, that's pre-med, that changes their mind the next semester. So I really tried to explore other stuff as much as I could. Uh, That's so funny you say that because fun fact, I never took AP bio because I was too scared of it. Like I didn't think I was smart enough to take it and everyone talked about how hard it was. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to ruin my GPA with this class that I can't handle. So I talked myself out of it. Uh, And similarly, growing up, I loved reading. Like when I was little, I thought I was going to open my own publishing company. Like I loved books. I loved writing. Mm -hmm. And then my... AP English teacher in high school basically like killed all of my dreams and told me I was a bad writer. <laughs> oh my God. I just How, believed what? her. Yeah. So I think that's like something I really try to highlight with this podcast is like the way different steps in your life influence the trajectory of your future and how much mm-hmm. of it is external versus internal and like what you can do to like emphasize the internal parts. So do you think it was ever like challenging when you told people you wanted to go into medicine or what that journey was like for you when you were like, mm. I'm going to try to be a doctor. Like, why not? You know? Yeah, no, uh, I think that's, uh, I think it's something a lot of students come up with um, look or come, come face to face with uh, when you say, I want to, you know, be a physician or I'm, I'm doing pre-med. Really the first thing you hear every single time is, Oh, it's so hard, you know, or, Oh, like, you know, it's a lot of commitment, this and that. And first of all, just as a general practice, I feel like that's such such a terrible energy to have in general when you're someone tells you about an ambition. Um, and it's almost projecting in a way, but I'm kind of, you know, digressing. But uh, it's, uh, everyone tells you how hard it is, but it, that, the, the level of the difficulty, honest to God, doesn't really matter as long as you want it badly enough. Um, if you want it badly, you'll do whatever it takes to get it, you know? And I think I struggled a lot in the very beginning. When, like you said, when people, you know, say something as far as you're like, oh, am I smart enough or this or that? 
But uh, honestly, I think it kind of blends in with my AP Bio uh, course because having taken AP Bio, first year bio was just so much easier, like unbelievably easier. And I, it kind of like built my confidence up really quickly. And then it, it kind of made me take stuff on throughout the next year and the following year, like chemistry, being a TA and stuff with uh, a lot more vigor, I guess, uh, than I would have if I had started off less confident in my abilities. So in a way, in a way, really AP Bio, like, un, like shockingly played one of the biggest roles in that because it, it just kind of gave me like a step, uh, a stool, a step stool or a stool or something to step on to um, to kind of try my hardest, but not be freaking out 24-7 because I'd already covered what a ribosome was a year ago. You know? Yeah, I think that's something I feel really bad for for pre-meds early on is that they psych themselves out and they're like, I don't have the grades for this and I don't have the numbers for this. And they automatically discount themselves because of that. And I think it's true almost in any career. And something that I started realizing is that so many people in really high up positions are so unqualified for what they do. Like mm-hmm. so unqualified, but they applied anyway and they somehow got it and now they're doing it. So it's really interesting how a lot of our self-limiting beliefs can stop us from even trying. I agree. I agree. If you hadn't pursued medicine and like, like other than the like government route you wanted to take, like if you weren't doing medical school right now, what would you want to be doing? I wasn't doing medical school. I know you said not to think of the government route, but like I would honestly 100% be working in the House or Senate or at least working on a campaign. Uh, If not that, I like, I don't know, honestly. Maybe now I can say in hindsight, maybe like finance or um, working uh, on Wall Street. But back then I wasn't, I don't like, it wasn't even something that vaguely interested me, you know? Um, So I have no idea. Well, I thought you were automatically going to say the finance thing because you've really built yourself up in that sense. And so I don't know, like there are the days where we're studying for like 10 plus hours. You don't like imagine another life, you know? Mm, I mean, I imagine another like I have definitely trust me <laughs> like <laughs> every day. No, I'm kidding. I have, but I I've never really seen um, like the, the only other area that I could genuinely see myself from college doing and working is honestly in legislative work or doing stuff related to politics. But I don't like finance is something and just like how all of like the economics associated with it and just the analysis of it is something I kind of picked up and learned on my own over the past few years. But the idea of like being, you know, an entry analyst at Goldman is honestly sickening. (laughs) So (laughs) I could never, I could never do that. Um, And I think Honestly, being from the point of view that I am, I am in as you know, med student and hopefully one day physician, and this and like this kind of side interest, um, I have, I kind of have the ability to always keep it as a side interest. And if I ever participated in it, um, I'll always somewhat kind of be looked at in a I guess in a in a way that allows me uh, that gives me more credibility early on. Like as a physician, whether you're you know pivoting to you know, healthcare finance or starting your fund or this and that by virtue of you being a physician, the baseline assumption is this guy probably works hard or at least tries, uh, tries his best at things and is smart. But if you're just an entry analyst, 
you're just an entry. You just got a college degree. That's it. They all get treated like trash by their employers. And I can't even imagine. I, I can't either. There's again, another big point of this podcast is that I feel like so many people spend their, a good portion of their lives. Cause think about how many hours you spend working 40 hours a week, et cetera, overtime, and they hate their jobs. And it's, it's just so shocking to me that there's not more of a push towards like letting people do what really makes them happy, like what societally makes them happy. And I think uh, like a really sad reason that suicide rates can be so high in medical school is because it's like people who didn't love medicine are basically putting themselves through like the worst time imaginable and working so hard towards something that wasn't their dream. Maybe it was their parents' dream or their family members' dreams. Mm -hmm. So. I agree, I agree. Especially I think if your parents grandparents and xyz were physicians so it's it's been almost decided for you in a way unless you you know the courageous way would be like to say no but um it's it's hard because you also don't really know what you want a lot of the times yeah and i think it's interesting that our system is set up in a way that kind of forces you to decide what you want when you're 18 Mm -hmm. because if i had known that like those six-year medical school programs existed like I would have done that. I wouldn't have taken the MCAT, but I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor when I was 18. And so mm-hmm. my dad actually told me not to go to college if I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I, it's a good thing I didn't listen to him because I, I mean, I kept, I stuck with my major, but if I had gone mm-hmm. in and realized I hated my major, I can understand why he would have said that. In terms of your side hustle, would you consider yourself an entrepreneur on top of future physician? Honestly, I really don't consider myself an entrepreneur at all. I like hate, I hate doing sales pitches. I, I like really don't like, it. I don't like trying to sell something to someone uh, because it just feels annoying. <laughs> um, and I, and one of the most like not fearful of things I really, really don't ever want to be is just like the annoying person who's always like doesn't get it but like they need to sell this to you you know so uh it's 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 like this whole um i like the industry then investing industry like with respect to really just learning how markets work and how um you can evaluate companies and uh bonds and other financial uh you know instruments or derivatives to um to kind of figure out it's almost like a puzzle you're trying to figure something out um that can give you an edge and i think that's really fun um and i think it's in and i'm also just a genuine generally curious person so um last summer when my research uh, fellowship when it when it got canceled because of covid i was like is a perfect chance to at least go ahead and you know kind of cultivate this interest more but as an entrepreneur honestly and i don't really see myself as an entrepreneur i think i you know, executed that side hustle in a way that I think was smart and entrepreneurial. But in general, I um, I, I only kind of did it because I was already doing the research anyway. And people asked me for the info. I was like, I've got too much time into this to give it away for free. So then that worked out. No, I really respect it. Uh, that's something that I'm honestly very fearful of too, is that Someday I want to launch a platform where it's like all of my yoga collectings and like me teaching and like meditations by me and the time and effort that's going to go into that and like paying for a studio and the camera work and the the time Mm. it'll take to edit the videos. Like it's going to be super valuable, but I'm like, it's something that I think everyone deserves to have access to. So then I'm like, how do I 
give that value proposition and like ask people to pay me for that. That's something I'm still trying to come to terms with. Like I still get mm-hmm. uncomfortable when I'm like, yes, come to my yoga class. And like, it would be nice if you could pay me, but you don't have to, but yeah. like, yeah. No, it's hard, especially I think when it's something like in the area which you're working in, which, you know, is well-being, wellness, just like oh, managing a healthy lifestyle. A lot of stuff like that is very, it's, even though it has tangible benefits, for some reason, a lot of people will still kind of shy away from paying for stuff like that because they feel like uh, it's, you know, the benefits, if it's not physically right there apparent, it's not worth paying. They're like, oh, I could do it myself, but but you don't do it. So why, why would you not pay? Versus I think, uh, fortunately, and where my side hustle is like with finance and investing, the whole thing really is just a house of cards built on greed. So people uh, will willingly pay for stuff if they think it will give them direct returns back. I mean, it's like something we just have to acknowledge because um, I don't think I don't think people also really realize how hard it is to do something like what you are doing right now uh, because it's a, it's almost like the work you put into it and the criticisms you get a lot of times can sometimes feel like a criticism of you. And it's hard to, uh, it's versus me. If, if my stuff was wrong, I was like, oh, my bad. No, I'll just fix it. You know, it doesn't, it's entirely different. Yeah. the Because it's like, it's me expressing things that I think can help people's like health and wellness. But again, it's, it's also very personal because it's like things that I've embodied over the past few years. But I also think there's a really big shift towards people starting to invest in their own health, which I, I'm really trying to ride that wave because lately I've been thinking of going into preventative medicine as a specialty, which a few years ago wouldn't have been a thing. But think about yeah. the amount of toll it takes on our economy to upkeep everybody that ends up with cardiovascular disease or diabetes like yeah. if we were to prevent those numbers in the first place it would be a beautiful world no I agree. really quickly for everyone that's like confused like can you explain what your side hustle is like is just like what you it is that you do yeah no uh so basically uh i started uh with my me and uh, two of my other friends this uh small investment fund called y for all investments and what we did was initially pool our money together. And all of them are pretty well-versed in business and finance. Um, and we all had kind of different strengths and uh, focused in different areas. And the idea was to see if we put our money together um, and kind of pulled our investments, what would it look like two years down the line or three years down the line? As we started investing, um, we got a lot we, we went a lot more in depth than we initially thought we would. Um, and we got involved like financial derivatives um, and bonds and, and things like that. And really researching um, like general market trends. And by the end of like four months, four months in, we'd made a ton of money, but also just accrued a ton of research and a lot of knowledge. Uh, you know, kind of when you, when you watch a sport, for example, if you've been or played it for a really long time, you can kind of intrinsically know what the right moves are without necessarily thinking too hard about it. And it got to that point. And, um, and a lot of the friends of our friends were like, how are you guys getting these killer returns? How, like, what is it? You know, can you tell us? And at first we were like, yeah, um, get this one, get the stock, sell that one, get this one, blah, blah, blah. And as more people kept asking uh, for uh, th- that information and I guess, the analysis behind why we were we had such high conviction uh, plays that worked out well, we realized this would be an amazing opportunity to 
you know, develop and um, improve our craft in research um, and actually make money on the side and not just speculate with stuff, the money that we already put in. And so set up a website uh, that had, uh, it was like an entire website interactive with uh, a weekly newsletter and weekly picks and analysis. And then we'd also have uh, Zoom meetings uh, and invite all of the subscribers on and answer their questions. And we were basically, it's weird. It's like almost like a bad comparison could be like if you took Khan Academy, but made it for millennials and focus it on investing. And what we did is with the money that we made from it, we would, um, we'd use it obviously to pay for the the costs of running the website um and then the remainder of that we just put it into our fund um and uh, that was honestly probably one of the most beneficial things we got out of it because i remember reading people like warren buffett they would buy businesses like geico um and the income they made from it they would just put it into uh their funds and and you know insurance honestly is kind of a scam to be honest uh you you pay in and then they rarely ever, ever let you take money out, um, but you pay in constantly. And so like Buffett would just take those premiums and just chuck it into the stock market for like 40 years in a row. And no wonder he's so rich now, but um, it's something we had never even thought of. And so it eventually kind of turned into uh, that model. I think that was something I really wanted to highlight is how you took like this time where you like couldn't really be doing anything and you turned it into something cool that you wanted to pursue. So do you think the past year has changed you a lot? Like in what ways? Because you were expecting to do this research last summer and instead you research stocks and here we are. I remember when you were posting yeah. about the GameStop and I should have gotten in and it kept yeah. going up and I was like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a... Uh... It was crazy too, because when I, I was in September when I first told people, buy it was eight dollars a share, and I got clowned so hard. And then like four months later, lo and behold. But it doesn't. I mean, it's whatever. That was also partially lucky. I think the past year has made me really appreciate just like human contact, really, uh, a lot more so than I think I had in the past. I think I think it also made me really comfortable with kind of being lazy and not going out, which is problematic. But because, uh, you know, I found myself really quickly kind of just feeling my mental health decay for, you know, especially early on. And I couldn't really tell why, because I was like, this is awesome. I don't have to go to class and just show my room. But then that's exactly why I kind of wasn't great for my mental health. I also think it made me way more acutely aware of how little there really is to protect us if, you know, excuse my language, if shit goes down. Um, it's kind of honestly mind-blowing the degree to which everything kind of fell apart, both, you know, the government level, but also just no one had a contingency plan on, on literally everything. And I was just constantly thinking, you know, imagine if this was something with just a slightly more or higher mortality rate or anything we'd all like this is such an amazing wake-up call and whether we'll actually follow through with that remains to be seen but it made me a lot more concerned overall just like the state of the, like the earth and everything if that's all it took to set us back you know by that much god forbid imagine anything more serious that or something we just can't get a vaccine for uh, it's it's honestly terrifying it really is and that was 
I think my biggest thing that I realized how fragile our lives are. And I, in like the podcast I'll release either before or after this one, I kind of talk about how you you hear that thing where it's like, what would you do if you found out you had like three or four months to live? And the question is that like, we Mm -hmm. never know how long we have to live. We're all dying. Like every single one of us is going to (laughs) die. We're all dying already, but we don't act Mm -hmm. like we are. We act like we have the rest of our lives in front of us. And it really Mm -hmm. made me decide that I didn't want to live a life where at the end of it, I was like, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd been a yoga teacher. Like I, I wish I had applied Mm -hmm. to medical school because I was scared to take the MCAT. I I didn't think I was going to get in. I applied with a lot of blind faith Mm -hmm. and somehow I'm here. So I think that's a a really good point that we don't really have a lot of plans in place, but that hopefully it changes things in a good way in that people are really more passionate about things. There's, I know there's a lot of like healing that we're going to have to do from this. Like this has been a really traumatic year. No, seriously, collectively. It's a lot of healing Mm -hmm. that needs to happen. And that's something I, I really hope to be a part of. It's like really hard work, but it's really important work. And like highlighting that Mm -hmm. I feel like everyone's kind of acting like it's not a big deal and we're going to have a normal summer. But before you and I got on this call, we were talking about how like we didn't really overanalyze our interactions with other people until we no longer had interactions with other people. And now going back in person, like re-navigating social systems, it's tough. Yeah, no, it really is, honestly. It's, uh, I can't, I, I don't even know what I'm gonna be at a party. <laughs> I feel so uncomfortable. Did you see that so. meme? <laughs> it was like all the frat boys next year. Yeah, so did you get Pfizer or Moderna? <laughs> <laughs> Literally. I'm dead. Yeah. No, it's so what, what even is small talk or what is the icebreaker? The idea of that just is anxiety. So if you're listening to this and you're a little stressed about things going back to real life, you're not alone. I mean, like I'm excited for it, but, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it's going to, it's going to be some getting used to like all things for sure. In terms of like progressing in life and 2020 hindsight if you could give your younger self one piece of advice what do you think it would be yeah I think uh, if I could give my the younger me like in high school I would definitely say um just honestly just do exactly what you're doing bro (laughs) like there's there's nothing honestly I think I would drastically change um and I've thought about this for a minute um maybe in uh you know freshman year I would have told myself you know it's it's okay you don't have to study like all the time what happened in college is I kind of overcompensated first year uh, by studying like a lot and then as I gradually you know got better at it I like started to cut it down a lot more um, a lot of the studying just because I realized I was being inefficient at first and this and that but I think my first year I kind of really really missed out on just random things that I wish I kind of did more often, whether it was just like a random, you know, excursion out, um, whether it was just, um, we just like go through like random parts of campus, just like fun, spontaneous things that I a lot of times said no to. See, it's funny because like I said yes to those things and my GPA suffered because of it. I had a really beautiful upward trend. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was, I think, part of why I got into medical school. Like I had the best upward trend you could possibly have, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade all of those experiences for a higher GPA like ever, because 
I'm still going to be like an excellent doctor. Like my patients aren't going to know what my undergrad yeah. GPA was or that I got C's in chemistry, unless they listen to this podcast, maybe they will know that I was really bad at chemistry. <laughs> um, but I think it's really important to live in the moment a little more than we do. We spend so much of our time worrying about the future and we miss out on everything that's right in front of us. Thanks. Um, I've said it better. Aw. Um, what do you think you would tell people who want to pursue what they love and like medicine? Because I know like a lot of people, they have these like weird abstract dreams of getting into an Ivy league and like you did it. So (laughs) what do you think you would tell them on that journey? I guess what I would say honestly is be the best, be the, just like the most, uh, polished person of yourself that you can be, but not just like in academic sense uh grades are you know good grades are great but that just shows that you kind of you you have discipline or you're willing to make sacrifices but uh, there's so many other parts i mean just being a good doctor in general means you you have to be an excellent communicator you have to work well with others and kind of doing things in college that reflect your acknowledgement of that and you know trying to be better at that goes miles what you do um, as an extracurricular is honestly not that important as long as it's something you're really into and you can get that across like research is cool and all but at the end of the day you know that's not going to distinguish you from anything else it has to be you know you're into music let's say you i don't know you uh started you know competing in like national competitions or whatever instrument you play, or if you like writing songs, you know, uh, if you were one of the songwriters for, you know, your school's club, uh, what is it, drama club or whatever, it doesn't really have to be academic. It just has to show that you care about something that's, you know, something other than hydrogen ions or ribosomes, you know, um, and I think uh, that's probably the, the most consistent thing I've seen across all my class um, at Brown is that a lot of them uh, were just really talented or passionate about something that was uniquely not medical that it kind of reflected uh people like how that people like that can add a lot to medicine you know it doesn't always have to be you know a stem work yeah because i think that shows that you care they don't want people who just have all of the beautiful perfect grades but then won't be able to communicate with their patients so that's something i'm really hopeful for i'm like as long as i can get the interviews for whatever residency I want, I think it'll come across that I'm going to be there for my patients. Even if I don't have every single disease in the book memorized, I'm going to ask other people what disease it is. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to show up as much as I can. Mm -hmm. What are resources that you think really shaped you and that you would recommend to others? Honestly, one of the biggest resources uh, is something, I guess, I was uniquely to the University of Maryland. Um, There's this program called College Success Scholars which basically took uh, rising rising uh, freshmen that were African-American, uh, freshman boys that were African-American. And I created just almost like a, a community of like support, a support and just uh, networking at in a way that we really had never experienced. Um, when I started my freshman year, there was already two or three older seniors and uh, juniors that were in med school or applying to med school. And just kind of having someone right there I could ask questions to and relate to was super helpful. Um, I guess, you know, finding something like that uh, is, can be really, uh, 
can be really difficult, I guess, because a lot of mentorship programs can kind of feel either like a little tacky or just not executed that well. But if you can find any system or program that, you know, really does give you mentorship and support, I think you really have to seize upon it, um, especially in undergrad. I really don't, a lot of the people I met in that program are people I still talk to and am friends with today. And I really don't know, I really cannot tell you where I'd be, to be honest, um, without having all that immense support. Uh, because it's it's just like having to do something like that on your own is possible. But, you know, if you don't have those connections already because your parents are physicians or whatever, it's very, the odds are stacked against you. And at the end of the day, you want them to be in your favor because it's already in the favor of those that have lived in this country. No, for sure. And I... I'm like really emotional right now because my little brother is in CSS and he's a mentor. Serious? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Mario that's doesn't listen to my episodes. Maybe he'll listen to this one because it's you. Yeah, that's funny. As shit. Wow. I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah. No, CSS is, CSS is, yeah, because it was all like, it was all black and Hispanic kids yeah. um, and some other, uh, other people. And it's, you know, it's, it's honestly amazing. The guy who runs it, Dr. Lester. He's so great. He's the goat. Like, I'm not mm. even kidding. He's the goat. Aww. <laughs> like, that's crazy. I don't know he's in CSS. So. Yeah, it's such a small world. It's really made a difference in his life because both him and I, I think that's something also you and I talked about, like as having like dual immigrant parents, it's so different in this country compared to their countries. And so like my mom is the most supportive human being in the world. Anyone that follows me on any social media platform knows that, but she mm-hmm. doesn't like I edit her cover letters and her resume, you know, like I didn't have that person to do those things for me. And it, it wasn't really up until I was like a senior that I made friends that were already in med school. So it took me a lot more years to have that guidance on like which classes to take and what to focus on and what to do. And that's something I'm trying to be really candid about so that other people can maybe like if they I've had a lot of people already DM me being like, I see you're in med school. Can you tell me what you think I should do about this? And like just even have knowing someone in your life that you can ask those questions to, I think is so important. So I hope to create something like CSS, like when I'm a physician, that's like for my thing is like all the little Hispanic girls, like the past versions of myself where everyone was like, medicine's going to be too hard for you. Like, why would you want to do that? You could do so many other things. I want to be, I want to create a community like that for them. That's like maybe across the United States. So anyone can be in it. Um, that's so dope. So yeah, find find mentors, find community. I think social media has also made it a lot easier because there's like a ton of like pre-med accounts. There's a ton of, I'm sure there's accounts for any other field you want to go into. My friend Lizzie is doing a, she's doing chemical engineering. She's doing like a PhD and she has a Insta page for that, you know? Mm, yeah, no, it's, I think it really, it, it's kind of broken down a lot of the barriers that have otherwise, you know, existed. Um, and beyond that, also, just at least at our school, UMD, um, there was one day like a packet or like a, a binder full of uh, physicians who had went to UMD that yes. um, were cool with taking people, you know, to shadow. And so I I went through that and shadowed a bunch of physicians and a bunch of them were honestly just very helpful um, and gave me a lot of guidance. Uh, I think in a way that was more, I guess, it, it felt more natural and relaxed mm-hmm. because they had gone to UMD and they knew what everything we were going through was like more or less. And so I think really taking advantage 
of the pre-held office helps a lot because they also write about you in yeah. the committee letter. And um, if you've been there since, you know, first year and checked in periodically, uh, more positive things to say about you than if you don't show up until year three. Well, I didn't know they existed until year three. So their whole like newsletter with the opportunities every single summer, I would be like, where the heck are kids finding these summer research programs and internships and opportunities? I had no idea it existed. So mm -hmm. again, for any applicable like major you want to go into, like talk to the advisors and find those resources because they do exist. But I think sometimes they're not good at advertising themselves and making it known mm -hmm. that they exist. So that's something that I think is frustrating. That was like all the questions I had for you, unless you wanted to get into anything else. Well, I guess the only thing I would say is I think a lot of what physicians do in general um, is so, you know, uh, energy intensive and hard. It can be exhausting to kind of uh, divert your energy in any way that's, you know, not directly on the school. Like, I totally get that. But I think it's really important just as like a profession that physicians kind of learn to advocate for themselves more effectively. Uh, I think our field has a issue with just kind of being, just coming across as pretentious and, uh, and that's really academia as a whole. But I think when you're a med student, you're kind of just so used to just getting stomped on, right? And then uh, when you're a resident, you get used to getting stomped on. Energy kind of carries throughout the entire field and it's just kind of problematic because you get to this point now where you have like healthcare admins telling doctors what to do. And it's not like, you know, doctors shouldn't listen to what admins and stuff have to say, but at the end of the day, they don't have to deal with, you know, the, the consequences. Essentially, they're looking at the numbers on their accounting ledger. And I think, I think physicians just as a collective, we just kind of need to just hold our ground more and really stop being walked all over in every way, whether it's fighting for universal health care or even something as simple as like, you know, um, independent practice for uh, different, uh, uh, what's it called, different types of nursing uh, degrees or specialties. Like uh, there's a there's a degree to which like we've become so conformist because we're just like I can't mess up I just need to get my degree and get out of here but you can't that that energy stays with us and it's kind of hurting the field really badly honestly There's so many changes that could be done but no one's really courageous or brave enough to kind of bring that conversation up to a major you know discussion the closest thing we've got is Fauci no really I I 100% agree with you especially in terms of physicians mental health at this point like the entire like making residents work for like 36 hours straight and make medical decisions when they're in that state I don't understand how that's a thing and so hopefully mm -hmm. like our generation is going to be the people that change that and maybe you'll come back to your passion for policy and maybe you'll write some stuff for us that would be amazing <laughs> um <laughs> I, I really, I think that hopefully things are changing and hopefully they end up changing in a good way. And hopefully that conversations like this, people will listen to them and maybe be cognizant of that and maybe hold a little compassion for their doctors, you know, because people think it's like all fun and games, but it's, it's a lot of studying and a lot of money. And it's a lot, of, what really gets me is how exclusive it is to get into medicine between how expensive it is to apply and having the right connections and 
that's something I really hope to break down or serve as a resource for to make an impact on as we go through it. No, that's fair. I completely agree with everything you said. And it's, it is really unnecessarily exclusive, you know? Mm-hmm. Thank you again for spending your time with me. Where can people find you if they want to keep up with you, if they want to be a part of your genius newsletter? <laughs> Follow me on Instagram, uh, Champagne Poppy. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Uh, uh, no, <laughs> it's a, uh, it's my uh, what's it called? Twitter is uh, Yana. It's it's horrible. It's Yana the Goat. Y O N A D A G O A T. My goodness. <laughs> I'll include it in the show notes. <laughs> or or you could just email me Jonathan underscore Daniel around that was all we had for you today. If you enjoyed, be sure to follow All Things Con Amor on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram at the same handle. You can also find my Instagram at Stephanie Arnuk. As mentioned, all of Jonathan's information will be in the show notes. Enjoy your day and I'll see you on the next episode.